Hey, thank you for listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are streamed. You can also visit PraiseChapelLasVegas.com and follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas to stay connected with PCLV. Thank you again for listening. Here comes today's message. I'm surrounded by family and friends, and uh, it's just good to be with uh, the, the speakers that we got. They're, they're all great friends of ours, and we love them dearly, and uh, we appreciate them coming out and being part of this. Uh, it's kind of like a little reunion, amen, and uh, we, we're, you know, we're getting older here, but I, I'm smart that I use the steps. Now, if something would have happened there... <laughs> I told him, we don't have any insurance for you, you know. <laughs> but uh, but Didi told me he's going to be hurting tomorrow. <laughs> that move is going to make him hurt, amen, hallelujah. But, but we are so blessed, amen, to, to, to have everybody here from all the churches. So, so thank you, guys. Uh, I mean, we got San Diego, we got, we got Anaheim, we got Garden Grove, amen. We got, we got, we got all kinds of regenerate, amen, in the house, amen, hallelujah, and so uh, we just want to thank you guys, of course, our speakers from all the cities that they're here, uh, I just want to say thank you, if I don't get a chance to say that, uh, I used to say thank you at the end for everything that's happening, but I know that some will be leaving, and so I just want to say thank you, really, thank you all for coming and being part of this, uh, we are blessed, and we are rich with good friends, good family, and a great fellowship, Amen. So give the Lord some praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, stepping out is, is, is uh, it's, it's a little scary at times. And, uh, but I, I, I believe in that scripture in, in Philippians that, you know what, I don't worry about anything. I pray about everything. And he'll give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And sometimes we want perfection and we want all this. And of course, all that is good and we should strive for that. But, but I, I think... Uh, we just learn as we grow. And so bear with us as we're growing, amen, before you. Uh, but we're here to hear the word. You know, the worship and all that is great, but I want to hear the word. I, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want God to speak to me. I want to meet him at the well. You know, and, and, and learn how to be still and know that he is God. You know, I, I think all of us, God is saying, why don't you just sit down with me? You know what? Well, you know, we're so busy, and a lot of us don't like to be, like, right now, none of you guys are sitting still. <laughs> we, we don't like staying still. Sit there. And then we start doing things. And we're the same way with God. You know, we, we just don't want to sit in his presence, because it's in his presence and the stillness of God that you know who God is. And that's what God wants to take us into, that secret place of that stillness, where you start, he starts to speak to you. And you start to truly know who he is. And when you get into that place with God, then you know he's God. And nothing else really matters. Amen. And we are going to be blessed with these speakers that we have. You don't want to miss tomorrow morning, tomorrow night. Uh, we'll be wrapping it back at our church uh, on Sunday, amen. Uh, we're, it's, I, I know that God's just going to move as we keep on going. So we are blessed to have our friends Fernando and Liz in the house, Pastor Fernando and Liz, amen. 
Hallelujah. From Firehouse. He's going to come up and give the, the word tonight. Amen. So give the Lord some praise as Pastor Fernando comes up. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh oh, here he goes. No insurance. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. No old guy jokes while I'm up here. Although I will say, Pastor Phil, that the last time I preached at a church, instead of water, they gave me Geritol. I don't know what that means, but it's not good. <laughs> Always works. Gives you a boost. I, I am, uh, want to thank uh, Pastor Art and Maria as well. We, we have become real good friends through the years. I want to thank you for taking such good care of us, inviting us over. It's already been great. hasn't even really just kicked in, but it's already been really, really great. And uh, some of the pastors that are here, all of which I know, some very special to me through the years. Uh, I served under Pastor Phil when he was the assistant pastor back at HP, Pastor Woody and Apples as well. They mentored me. They discipled me and helped me out. Uh, help me discover myself and, and my calling. So I give them honor and I praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Almost didn't make it here tonight on time because uh, I was winning at roulette. <laughs> Actually, anybody that knows me knows that's a lie. My game is blackjack. And I wasn't winning, so I figured I just better come to church. I don't like losing money, so I don't play. <laughs> That's just one reason. Well, listen, what a great theme for this conference. What an outstanding theme to be still, to draw from the well. And so I believe with all my heart. Hey, Pastor, how's it going? Good to see you. I believe with all my heart that God's going to meet us here, and every expectation you might have had is going to be exceeded by the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? amen. I put a sermon together for this conference that I titled simply, What It Means to be still. And since I was asked to open up this conference, I thought it might be a good idea to give some background, some historical background to Pastor Art's theme, Be Still. And it's found, oddly enough, in the book of Psalms, probably something you wouldn't expect to see in there. And if you were to break down, thank you, if you were to break down Psalms 46, 47, and 48, it's actually a trilogy it's kind of like an extended movie series. It describes all three chapters or all three psalms describes the same thing, and that's a wonderful victory that was brought through the hands of God. How many know the best victory you can ever have is brought by God? It really is. You'll never experience victory, however, without an enemy. And I know we spend most of our lives trying to avoid enemies, but the Bible says that they're going to be there. In these three psalms, the tribe of Judah was celebrating the fact that God protected them, that God backed them up, that God won a tremendous key battle for those people. You see, the Assyrians were the lifelong enemies of God's people. The Assyrians were notorious. They were terrible. They were led by an Assyrian king named uh, Sennacherib. Hope I pronounced it right, but if I didn't, who cares? He was a fool. And he was launching an invasion against Jerusalem. So I want to I wanna give you the background because it has everything to do with the theme here and everything to do with everybody here. By the way, today, no one escapes from this sermon today. Nobody. He was vicious, this Sennacherib. He was the sworn enemy of God's people. 
And what he would do in warfare anytime he got a victory is he would take his captives and he'd get these huge fish hooks and put it right through the cheek of the captives and run them through the desert naked to make an open spectacle of all of them. They were one of the first people that were known for this. They would take their enemies, they would capture who they could, and they would skin them alive. They also were the ones that would place their skulls after killing them, skinning them alive, fish hooking them, and doing all this other stuff. They would go ahead and take their skulls. You know there's an infatuation of skulls today. You see them on t-shirts everywhere. Our young people are wearing them. They're putting tattoos on. This is where it started. They would kill uh, their enemy. They would go ahead and strip them down. They would take their skulls, and they would put, put them on top of spears, and they would parade them through their city. Their message... Don't mess with the Assyrians. And I'm telling you all of this to let you know that King Hezekiah was actually the one that wrote about it, and he was saying, this is what's going on. He was scared. He was scared for Jerusalem because this enemy was overwhelming, and they were known to be vicious, and nobody wanted to be captured by him for the reasons I just gave you. But here's what he did. Hezekiah did the right thing. Instead of go to war immediately without thinking about it, he got on his knees. Well, you didn't hear me. I said he got on his knees and he began to pray and seek God. And he actually said, God, what am I going to do with such an overwhelming memory? And so God answers Hezekiah and tells him not one arrow would penetrate your city. And I'm here to see you through. And if you remember reading 2 Kings 18 and 19, those two chapters, the Assyrians were surrounding the city and things looked very, very grim for Jerusalem. But what God did was, and you remember reading it, God dispatched one angel who came down to fight for Jerusalem, and that one angel wiped out 185,000 Assyrians in one blow. That's the kind of backup we need sometimes. All the people began to celebrate. They were beside themselves because they didn't even lift a sword. They didn't even have to fight. In this particular case, God did the fighting for his people. They celebrated a great victory in the hand of the Lord. And now I want to read. I'm going to do a little reading here. Is that all right? Get in some scripture. You said you, you wanted the word. Here it is. Psalms 46, beginning with verse 1. I think they'll put it up here. And here's the story. God, he, he, this is the celebration. This is the beginning of the trilogy of victory and praise and adoration and gratefulness that King Hezekiah began to write about. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. See, we thought that was figurative, but it's actually very, very specific. I'll explain in a minute. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Now, that's kind of like, you might think Selah was just the end of a psalm, and it was like, amen, but it's much different than amen. Amen means let it be done and let it be so. Selah means, what do you think about that? Seriously. Selah means, what do you think of that? He's saying, uh, God is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in trouble. And even though the mountains disappear into the ocean, even though the oceans rage, even though all of this is happening, God came through for us. What do you think of that? So this psalm and the next two psalms of the trilogy are believed to have been written by King Hezekiah himself, and it describes this massive army I, I told you about, like, and he describes them like roaring waters, mountains swelling. See, the mountains 
He, he said mountain swelling because he went to the north side of Jerusalem where he saw this overwhelming army coming over the mountain, swooping down to attack, and it looked as though the mountains were swelling because of the soldiers that were running down ready to attack. That's what he was faced with. That's the scenario. The mountains are covered with Assyrian soldiers ready to destroy them. And things are looking very, very grim. And one of the enemy's tactics of war, by the way, back in those days, particularly here, what the Assyrians did was they cut off the water supply to the city of Jerusalem. They wanted to starve them out and have them have nothing to drink. And Hezekiah knew that tactic. And so what he did was he dispatched some of his guys, his soldiers, to dig a tunnel through the bedrock and under the river into his city. And they did this effectively. The enemy couldn't see it from the outside. They were expecting them to die of thirst, and yet they were drinking just fine. Look at what Hezekiah says in verse 4. There's a river whose stream shall be made glad in the city of God. He's saying, ha ha! He's, la he's saying, you know, they thought they were going to destroy us by cutting off our water supply, but there's actually a river, a literal river, whose streams shall be made glad in the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So let me give you the point. You guys still with me here? I'm going through some history. We're going to kick this into gear right now. When all hell breaks loose around you, come on, church, when the enemy seems to be attacking or overwhelming you and your resources, when there's nothing more for you to do, even though the mountains seem to be shaking and swelling with the enemy, there's an underground river inside of you. The Holy Spirit is that river that flows through us. Yeah. Pastor Phil was one of the song leaders of the church. There's a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets a captive free. There's a river of life. They don't let me on the worship team, so i got to do it here. I just... That's my shot right there. But that's what it's saying right there. Sometimes when you're under attack, has anybody ever been under attack where you know that it's not just coincidence, it's spiritual warfare? Sometimes when you're under that kind of attack, when you're outnumbered by your enemy, when you're about to go off, go postal, get crazy, whatever it is you do, you just got to dig deep, church, and allow the river to flow into your city, the city of our God. Dig a well. Did you know that to this day, that underground river that was dug out by Hezekiah through the bedrock and the stone, it was no easy task, that river that flows from the outside of the city of Jerusalem through a tunnel to the inside of the wall is today still called Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can go see it right now. It's there. Google it. But see, that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. God doesn't want us to resort to crazy tactics or, or get upset or get even or get mad or, or worry and fret and fear and respond that way. God wants you to tap into that river of living water. God wants to give all of us a refreshing flow. That's what's great about these conferences, great about these services that we have. Uh, you know, I had somebody one time said, man, I think it's ridiculous that we have to have more than one service a week. Well, he ended up backsliding. I'll tell you, I want to be there. 
Liz and I were talking yesterday. She goes, you know, what are we going to do? Are we ever going to come to a place where we actually retire from ministry? And I said, well, I'm sure we will. But, when, but whenever that is, we're still going to do what we're doing now. I'll be front row center. I want to hear the word of God. I want to worship the Lord. This is something that we don't just do for a season, amen. It's part of our lives. But when you're being attacked, when you're being besieged and threatened by the enemy, when you're being attacked with temptation, trials, problems, whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit is ready to penetrate the walls of your heart. Because sometimes there's bedrock there. It has to be excavated. It it's doesn't come easy sometimes. Because there's, we can harden our hearts sometimes. There's a river whose streams shall be made glad in the city of God. This conference, who knows if this conference isn't your time for total victory over something you've been battling with for years. Who knows if this isn't a time where God delivers you from your enemies. And I'm not talking about your husband. Verse 5 says, God is in the midst of you. Come on now. You say, well, isn't God everywhere? Sure he is. Because he, he's omnipresent. But his manifest presence isn't everywhere. It's where the people of God come together. What's the benefit of corporate worship is that we uh, tug on the anointing and, we, and the Spirit of the Lord falls on our services. And the Bible says, God's in the midst of you. You shall not be moved. God shall help you just at the break of dawn, right when you're ready to give up. Sometimes when you've exhausted all your resources. Did you hear me? Because we try everything. So at first Hezekiah had a lot of fear in him. He was scared and now he's encouraged by the river that flows out of sight of the enemy. Did you hear that? Out of sight of the enemy. From the outside the enemy didn't know what was going on. It was underground. The devil, there's certain things we give the devil too much credit sometimes. He doesn't know what God's doing in you. He's afraid of it. He knows the potential. But when God begins to stir your heart and bless you and fill you with living water, the devil is a liar. He is blinded by it. It's underground. It's in my soul. It's something that the devil didn't put there, so he can't take it away. And so Hezekiah writes in verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. What do you think of that? In other words, when he, they said, he's, he said, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You know what he's really saying? The God of losers is our refuge. I thank God he's the God of losers. He's my refuge even though I'm flawed. Even though I blow it. Even when I don't deserve it. You see, Jacob represents the worst part of all of us. He was a heel grabber. He was a deceiver. He was a scammer. He was a ripoff. He stole his brother's birthright, his own brother. He was known as the surplanter, one who unseats or overthrows another. Jacob was a loser at one point of his life. And such were some of us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, the Bible says, but you were washed, hallelujah, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's read on. All right, I don't want to lose you guys. You're still with me? We're getting some history down. Verse 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He 
burns the chariots in fire. So Hezekiah is now describing what God is doing. Where God dispatched an angel and wiped out all these 185,000 enemy soldiers. And he's seeing all of this and he couldn't help but build a trilogy out of it and said, One psalm isn't enough. I'm going to write three. And they're all going to give glory and they're all going to reflect the victory that God has brought. Any one of us who will trust in him. Once again, this describes the fact that God fought for the people and defeated the enemy. And in the middle of all this, Hezekiah is telling all of us here tonight, when you feel surrounded, when you're being besieged and attacked, when the mountains seem to be moving against you, when the seas are raging, there's an underground river that flows through our souls. It's the Holy Spirit. I know we know John 7, 38. He who believes in me out of his belly, his core, his heart will flow rivers of living water. When Jesus turned to Peter and says, you're going to leave like the rest of them? Come on, pastors. Well, you're going to go? You're going to leave like the rest of them? Peter said, where can I go? You have the words of life. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now look at what Hezekiah writes. Verse 10. And I want you to say this with me. Be still. That's everybody. Say it with me. Be still and know that I am God. Everything we talked about has now come to this crescendo, has brought us to this place. Be still and know that I am God. This is a huge lesson that Hezekiah learned. And, and this is what he's sharing with all of us at this well conference. This is the key to our victory. Be still and know that I am God. Do you want to know what be still means? I got excited about this, Pastor Art, because I did one of these word studies. You know, when you go into the Hebrew, sometimes a word that we use is actually a phrase that they used. How many know that? You want to know what be still literally means in the Hebrew? To take one's hands off. Can I say that again? If you take the Hebrew word or words be still, it means take your hands off. To be still doesn't mean to be quiet because we thought that's what it was. Because that's what we use our kids, our grandkids. One time our grandkids were acting up and Liz says, be still and know that I'm God. She, got for, she was having a hard time. And it worked. They went, either God moved or they thought grandma was crazy. But either way, it took care of it. Be still doesn't mean to be quiet, stay still, stay where you are, wait a few minutes. It means take your hands off. In other words, let go and let God. And, and, and for the sake of the text and our story and the background and the history, this is Hezekiah saying, you know what? I'm not going to try and make this happen on my own power and my own strength because I do not have it. We're outnumbered. We're outgunned. We're outresourced. We're outstrategized. But it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So Hezekiah says, I'm going to take my hands off. I'm going to be still. He prayed. God answered. He obeyed the Lord. Come on. God's always talking, but we're not always listening. Now Hezekiah says, I'm going to get my hands off and I'm going to be still. Why? Because they that wait upon the Lord 
I said that, that wait upon the Lord. Get your hands off. Sometimes we get involved in just too much. I'm going to wait upon the Lord and renew my strength. I just want to tell you, we, you know, church, we can't fix everything that's broken. I know we think we can and we try and we got to fix this and control this and make this happen. And you never do and I always and why come and all the stuff we get involved in. Some things we are expected to fight and battle for, but some things are beyond our control. Like, you know, I'm, I'm learning something. I'm, now, I'm, I'm, the over, I'm the part of the over 60 crowd here, whichever one of you guys refer to that. As a matter of fact, I've been in that club for over three years. But some things are beyond our control. You know, one of the dumbest things that I catch myself saying now, how come he did that? There's no answer to that. Why did he do that? How come they're like that? You know, there's no answer to that. Sometimes we've got to just let it go. We're not going to have all the answers. This is not a deterrent from you being, you know, engaged in spiritual warfare and, 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 and quoting all those scriptures. But in some arenas, we need to withdraw and just trust God. That's what Hezekiah had to do. He had to mount up with wings as eagles. That's what he had to do. You know, I have this illustration that I used at a prior conference, but it's such a good one, and it applies here so well. In New Zealand, New Zealand is the home of more flightless birds in the whole world. Did you know that? On the island of New Zealand, 41% of all birds can't even fly. They have little stubs for wings. It's the weirdest thing. They're birds. What are birds supposed to do? They're supposed to fly, periodically at least. They can't even fly. they got little stubs. You know the reason why that they can't fly, their wings are underdeveloped, is because there's no predators on that island. And through the years, and even the centuries, there's no snakes, no wolves, no bobcats. There's nothing that threatens the bird population there. And since there are no predators, there's no need to fly. And where there's no need to fly, you lose your ability to fly. It takes a predator to develop the wings necessary to fly above the threat and above the storm. So we have a choice this conference. We can remain grounded and live in fear, or you can mount up with wings as eagle and take what God is doing at this conference and allow it to fly into your life. Mount up with wings as eagle and fly like you were designed to do. But you'll never do it. Listen now. I know you didn't come to hear this one. You'll never do it without opposition. And yet opposition is what causes so many of us to say, I'm out of here. I had somebody come to my church. I've been pastoring now almost 30 years, 29 years. I had somebody come to me, literally come to me at an altar, powerful altar call. He says, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. I said, why are you doing that? He says, because every time I get here to the altar and make a commitment, the devil, I, I have a head-on collision with the devil every time. I said, good, at least you know you're going in opposite directions. You're going to have conflict. I had a pregnant lady come to my altar one time and says, Pastor, I need prayer. I said, what can I do for you? She's nine months pregnant. I mean, she's ready. <laughs> and so for me to ask, what do you need is kind of, but anyway, I'm saying, what's, the pro what's going on? She says, I want you to pray, new convert, I want you to pray that I, I, that I suffer no pain in labor. <laughs> Told me that. And so I started, I go, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm thinking some things you just have to go through. 
But I did pray for her, and I prayed for a smooth delivery and, and, and all that. But, I mean, how many know some things we just go through? And those are the very things that we feel if we go through it, we have fallen short. Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, it's impossible that offenses will not come. Those are the words of Christ. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Sooner or later, somebody's going to offend you. Has anybody here ever been offended by somebody? Let me get a raise of hands and see. No? Six? Eight? I said, has anybody here ever been offended by somebody? Of course you have. And if you haven't, hang on. Yours is coming. Sooner or later, somebody is going to attack you. Sooner or later, somebody's going to offend you. It could be somebody that you love, somebody in your family, somebody that you've known for years, even someone in the church. Unless you're a hermit somewhere, somehow, someday, you're going to have to deal with an enemy in your life. According to Jesus, it's impossible to escape that. Some things... We just need to take our hands off and know that he's God. Sometimes we just have to be still and know that he's God. You know, I don't defend myself near as much as I used to. Seems like the older I'm getting. You know, you know <laughs> let me give you some education some of you young people. The older you get, the less you want to deal with drama. You just don't have the energy for it anymore. Well, how can we make it? Just, you know what? Praise God, you know. I used to be the one that come in and say, oh, no, no, because you said, and I remember, and, and, and if I would, forget about it. We need to choose our battles, and that's not one of them. And I got news for you, gentlemen. Your wife is not your enemy. She's your wife. Ladies. I know he's lazy, but he's not the enemy. Pastor, what advice can you give me? What's the best marriage advice you could give me? Take your hands off. Let God do something. Have you prayed? Liz does that to me all the time. I say, you know, honey, I'm really getting tired. This is and she goes, have you prayed for me? And I go, praise God. Forgot that one. I got all my points. I got history. I got dates. I got quotes, but I don't have no prayer. That's as transparent as I'll be tonight. Let's look at verse 10. Are you still with me, church? Verse 10, I love this. Then, say then. Well, what do you mean then? Once you've taken your hands off, verse 10 says, God steps in and he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, when you get your hands off, God ends up getting the glory. God gets the credit when we take our hands off. Because a lot of times, the only result we get is what we can manufacture. We tie the hands of God up by putting him to the side saying, I'll handle this, Lord. I'll take care of this. Disrespect me. And I'm a pastor. As soon as you get your hands off, God gets involved. It's like he's waiting to fight for you. If Hezekiah had gone forward and done what he wanted to do. It would have been in his own strength, his own power, with his own resources. But he prayed. He got on his knees. He says, God, we're overwhelmed here. And if you don't do something, I'm not going to make it. Come on, we need to do that. You know, we need some King James prayers turned into some NIV prayers here. 
Father, whithersoever you go, and uh, there, there, you know, turn out, help! As you travel forth and sojourn into it, forget about it. Say, God, help me. If you don't come, I'm not going to make it. How many heard that saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil? Make a little noise. Get in God. Pray. Seek him. Fast. What, eat fast? No, go without food. I mean, do we fast anymore? It got quiet here, so we better move on. I got to find a happy verse somewhere in here. That was Psalms 46. I got two more. Now let's look at the second psalm in the trilogy of victory. Psalms 47 is so significant that it's read and sung to this day on Rosh Hashanah, which is our Jewish New Year. Still today, every single year, Rosh Hashanah, this is what is quoted. Psalms 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Come on, this is, this is Hezekiah overwhelmed because God came through for him. And he's saying, come on, church, sing with me. Praise with me. Trust God with me. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Why? Verse 2. For the Lord Most High is awesome. Come on, he's an awesome God. You know, not everything's gone my way and gone perfect in my life and ministry, but Liz and I give each other a high five all the time saying, God has been faithful. God has been good. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He's a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah, which means again, what do you think of that? God has gone up. I just found that out this last week, and that tripped me out. What do you think of that? What kind of translation is that? What kind of Bible terminology is that? But it's saying, man, he's bragging on God. He's bragging on God. And he says, what do you think of that? Run and tell that. Verse 5, gone has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now he's being prophetic. This is a messianic prophecy. Talking about Jesus being caught up. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with a sound of trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises, here it is, with understanding. Oh, now he's delving into something else. An understanding of who God is. And the more we get into it, the more mature we become. See, I'm not old, I'm mature. There's a difference. Some people, you ever know somebody just got old? Same old sour, old fart, just. Some people get old, some people mature. There's a big difference. And as I begin to mature, got a solar heater I never had back then, but I am maturing. But he begins to mature, and he's saying, wow, not only that, there's been a depth of understanding that's come through this victory. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of God, of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Now listen, these psalms, this trilogy of psalms is telling us, listen, dig a well. Get that river flowing. Be still and know that I'm God. Every time you're still, every time you get your hands off and you trust God, he gets involved and there's great victory. Three 
psalms dedicated just to that. Let's skip to Psalms 48.1 because I want to get through this part. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountains of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of this whole earth is Mount Zion on the side of the north. City of our great King. That's a nice tune, isn't it? Well, it was till I sang it, but anyway... No, but listen, though, this is significant because he understood that the north end of Jerusalem was their weakest point. The north part of Jerusalem was their most vulnerable side. The enemies had strategic advantage no matter what they did because they were coming off of a hill and they had that height advantage. They had that swooping uh, hill that was swelling with soldiers and they were coming down. But it was also where the temple was. And Hezekiah was confident that God would guard the city. It was where the temple was. So the psalmist is saying, we may be vulnerable, but it's actually a beautiful, beautiful for situation because the temple is there, God is there, and I dare them to get through God. That's us saying, listen, devil, I'm going to stop locking horns with you and, and fighting with individuals and trying to get this going and that going and get my point across and get even and get my, my forget about it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to get my hands off of it. I'm going to let God be still and know that I'm God. The problem, now wait, wait a minute though. The problem with most of us is we haven't allowed that to happen. So we're Christians that are always in need of counseling. We, want, we need counseling more than worldly people do. And if you didn't have a deeper conviction, you'd be popping pills. I, I don't know, maybe you are, but here's the thing. Listen, though, listen. Jesus is the only one who's called the wonderful counselor, but nobody goes to him. Instead, we trust the pastor to cast the demons out of us. And if we trusted God, we could probably pray out what we think we need counseled out. I got three hand claps. Some of you getting counseling right now. You're not feeling good about it. Okay. But the psalmist is saying we may be vulnerable, but it's actually a beautiful situation because the temple is there and God will protect. He writes the elevation is beautiful. Are you kidding me? The elevation is your downfall. The elevation is the strategic advantage that the enemy has. But he's saying it's beautiful. The situation is beautiful. Is this guy crazy? No. He's seen the victory of the Lord. He's, he's still, and he knows that God is in control. One translation of verse 3 says, God himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing himself as the defender. Are you getting something out of this? I hope so, because I'm more than halfway through. In other words, the place where we're weakest, we're actually strong. Because that's when God steps in. I said, that's when God steps in. Didn't Paul say it? He says, my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. So, where are you most vulnerable this evening? What is your weak point? How do you spell relief? Amen? Amen? Some of you men do really good on the day shift, but night shift comes and you start losing it. How do you spell relief? What is your weakness? What's holding you back from diving into ministry in your church? You say, well, I'm checking things out. Come on, you've been here 13 years. How much more time do you need? 
You know, one of the things that, one of the things, and I don't want to go old school on you all the time, but one of the things that motivated me, I mean, our discipleship back in the day was almost competitive. In the sense that, man, I mean, things were happening and we had to do it. I, I remember wanting to pray. Now we got to bribe them with uh, raffles and turkeys and... David said, I was glad when they said, let me go to church. I came running. Oh, I got all these songs I remember. It's all coming back. See what you're doing to me, Pastor Phil? You old timer, you? I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad when they said unto me. Come, let us go into the house. Not this, you know, come on, hurry up. We got to go. I came running when they said unto me, right? It's a real basic song, but we had fun singing it, and it was so true. What happens to that desire? What happens to the passion? You can't tell me that was reserved for one generation or one time. We're not dispensationalists that believe that God is, 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 is confined to doing one thing at one time. He's God, and he wants, he wants you to have revival more than you do. What's hindering us from giving to God and supporting the ministry and serving him wholeheartedly? Who do you need to forgive? That's another thing. Every time I, I'm getting some aches and pains, I'm getting a little older, still trying to work out, but, uh, you know, I'll say, hey, Liz, man, my back, who do you need to forgive? Every time I, something's wrong with me. And she catches it. I go, what do you mean? I mean, she goes, no, their forgiveness is tied into aches and pains. But I'll tell you one, no, but I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing, that every time she prays that prayer and makes me do some deep confession, I feel better. She goes, do something you couldn't do. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could never dance. Here's what I'm trying to say, church. Trust in God. Rely on God. Call upon the Lord. Be still. Take your hands off and know that I'm God. Amen? It's the first night of conference. Be still. Forgive that person. Stop holding on to offenses. Stop fighting the wrong battles. You know, sometimes I, I think the devil doesn't have to do all as much as we give him credit for. Well, the devil did this and the devil and the Satan. And sometimes we give him so much credit. And all we got to do is just trust God sometimes. You know... A couple of weeks ago, I was at the dentist. I was reading an interesting article. You'll be really interested, those of you that live here in Vegas. I was reading this article, and did you know that there are certain parts of the desert that's been part of a recent experiment? It's, it's, it's something they did that's fairly new, I guess. The goal was, or the experiment was, we're going to take some barren land, we're going to transfer water over them, over to those places, even though most of it is sand. There's still good elements in there. But it's parched. So we're going to transfer greatly needed water from one place to this barren dry land. And we're going to see if we can grow crops where it would usually be impossible. And the experiment was successful. And you can now drive through desert land that's green with fruit-laden trees, shrubs, crops. These watered areas now stand out from the rest of the landscape because water brings life. This is how the Christian should be. We should stand out of a barren land 
lost and dying people, dryness, and bear fruit in the midst of our environment. So don't say that it's because you're in this marriage or you're from this family or you didn't have education or this happened or that happened and dad wasn't there. You can thrive if there's water. So I want to go back to the well. Come on, I'm going back now to the well. If you've got a well that's been dug, you know, this is important. Let me read it to you. Psalms 84.4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're, that are, they're ever, they are ever praising you. Come on, that's why it's important. I said church is important. This conference is important. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Come on. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. What a great psalm that is. You see, what it's telling you is that when you go through the valley of Baker, which is translated sorrows, when you're going through a valley in your life, in your marriage, with your finances, with your health, when you're going through a hard time, he's saying, dig a well. Because there will be times when God rains down. You know, when you hear about rain in the Bible, it also equates to blessing. God calls his blessing rain. Send down the rain, Lord. See, that's another one. <laughs> Send down the latter rain. That's revival, right? Last days. Send down the rain. That's our prayer as a church. Send down the rain. We want your blessing. We do not want another meeting. We want church. We don't want a speech. We want a sermon. Come on. What makes the difference is the anointing. The anointing will turn a speech into a sermon, some preaching. And so God, he says, I want to rain down on you. And you know the great thing about that and the why the Bible says, ladies, pray for your husbands. Because when I rain blessing on you, there's a splash effect. People around you get wet. It doesn't mean that they're going to be saved because you're saved, ladies. It just means that when you begin to pray and fast and believe God and stick to your guns, and when God blesses you and rains on you, people around you get wet. My house is blessed. My finances are blessed. My kids are blessed. My grandkids are blessed. That's why the Bible says, I'm running out of time, break up the fallow ground. He's talking farmer here. Break up the fallow ground. Why? Well, the ground always represents the heart, right? And he's saying, open your heart, people, so that when I rain down on you, there won't be a runoff from hard soil. Don't have a hardened heart. Break up the fallow ground, which means open your heart when God is speaking. You know that every aspect of a service or a conference is very important and strategic? From the praises and the singing to the word to the giving, it's all worship. And God says, I'll raise up a standard against the enemy as long as you're praising me and trusting me. I'll tell you, I'd, have, I'd rather have God get my back than some of you. When God rains down his blessing on you, your heart has been plowed and opened to avoid a runoff of his blessing. And then he says, I'm going to make you an oasis. How's that? A fertile place in a desert due to water being added. God wants to take that which is dry and barren and turn it into an oasis. That's why the scripture, send down the rain, Lord. Send down the latter rain. And the Bible says the rain also fills the pools. 
Dry grass comes to life with water. Come on, guys, try it sometime. Water that lawn. Water always draws life. The early settlers camped and lived near water. The Garden of Eden had rivers flowing through it. Man can live almost anywhere water is. Jesus is our living water. Ephesians 5 says the church is cleansed through the water of the word. Revelation 21, 17 talks about the fountain of water of life. Revelation 22, 17 says, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus wants to bring life to us this conference. This is not random here. This, this theme, be still, is not random. The t-shirts that say, the well, I want my well t-shirt. Yeah, but what does it mean? It means you're digging a well so that when God does bless you, you've got enough to last later on. You've got enough to say, oh no, devil, you're a liar. I remember when God delivered me. I remember when God prophesied over me. I remember when I got saved. I remember when I made a commitment to the Lord. I remember when the anointing came down on that conference. John 4, 10 through 14, the woman at the well, it was mentioned already. Jesus said, or you, you quoted that, you read that, Pastor. Jesus said to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. In Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus describes himself. He says, my water will be a well that springs forth everlasting life. Psalms 84, 6, who passes through the valley of Baca. Come on, even though you passed through that, that valley, mean weeping, crying, pleading, a place of sorrow, complaining, a place of tears. We've all faced it. I said we've all faced the valley. Your marriage, your kids, your job, your finances. Temptation gets the best of you. Sickness, loneliness, depression. We all have to deal with the valley of Baca. It's time we turn our valley into blessing. I want to close with a story that I haven't really talked about in many, many years. Woody will remember it. Pastor Phil, you'll remember it. I think it came from Pastor Neville. I don't want to plagiarize. I just talked about that last week. So I think it was Pastor Neville. It's not my story, but it's a great story. And I want to close with this story. Pastor Neville, I believe, was talking about a trip to Disneyland. He says, I had my kids, it was Jason and Nishi, and I, I took my kids to Disneyland. We were ready for a real good time. But I made the biggest mistake any parent could make. I bought them Mickey Mouse balloons on the way in instead of waiting on the way out. So they had their balloons, and we tied it around their wrists, and we tied it around the strollers when they went on a ride. And he says, all of a sudden, we're there ready for the electric light orchestra on Main Street. We got our place. We're ready to go. And Pastor Neville says, I hear a blood-curdling scream. It was coming from Nishi. And she's reaching out in the sky crying, ah, my balloon. She had let go of her Mickey Mouse balloon. And Pastor Neville is getting embarrassed because she was screaming bloody murder. Everybody's looking around. What's wrong with this kid? Ah, my balloon. And so he tried the best he could. He did what any Christian parent would do. said, yeah, Mickey went to be with Jesus, you see. And they think maybe that will make it easier. Well, Nishi didn't buy that at all. And what he was sharing was the Holy Spirit spoke to me saying, what are you worried about? You do that to me all the time. You're crying over what I look, you know, I'm, I'm your heavenly father. Because what, what he did was Pastor Neville said, don't worry. For him, he's a parent. I'll buy you another one on the way out. Don't worry. It's just, it's just a balloon. 
And let me tell you, most everything we go through is just balloons. And the Lord is saying, wait a minute, Fernando, are you serious? If you can't handle the footman, what are you going to do when the horses come? If you're falling apart because of that, you're not going to make it. Because that's just a balloon. Most of what we go through is just balloons. And God says, I'll get you another one. I'll fix it. Amen? Be still. Get your hands off. And let God. Be still and know that I'm God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Hezekiah dug his well. We need to dig ours tonight. Amen? I said, Hezekiah, he dug his, and we need to dig ours. And I don't know what kind of enemy you're facing. It could just be something like, you know, I'm doing relatively well, Pastor, but uh, I just hesitate. Every time I, I, I want to go forward, it seems like I take two steps back. We want revival in our churches. Who knows if this isn't your time right now to just let go and let God. To dig your well. So when God blesses you, you'll be able to carry it into the future when you need it the most. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for revival. We pray, God, that you would have your way with us, that we would learn these lessons, that as we go into the battles of our lives, God, that you would raise up a standard against the enemy. We know that if we trust in you, you will come through for us, and our weakness will actually become our strength when we look to you, when we get our hands off. And so here's what I want to do. I want to have an altar call right now for those of us, for those of us, that would admit and be honest and be transparent before the Holy Spirit and say, there's things I need to let go of that I've been holding on to. There's things that I need to let go of. Come on, there's anger, there's unforgiveness. Come on, we're fighting amongst each other. We've got these concerns that have become worry, that has become fear, that has become, uh, you know, now we're hard to live with because we're all uptight and always upset and always talking about him and about her and why this happened and why that happened. And it's time to have a good altar call and dig a well. God's about to rain on you. Praise the Lord. God's about to rain. As the, as the worship team, I want you to go ahead and play something softly. I want to open altars to people that want to make this contact.